0: Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. What does it mean to be chosen in the Bible? What is the purpose of having a chosen people? How does God honor his chosen? What is expected of those who hope to join the ranks of the chosen? How long is a chosen person's tenure? Doesn't the whole idea of being chosen go against human fellowship? When it comes to the Bible, one man's curse is another man's blessing, and vice versa, ad eternum. Richard and I discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos,
1: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 112 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We are moving on to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. And once again... Paul continues the drumbeat against idolatry. We've talked a lot about community and loyalty to community, but what's interesting in 1 Corinthians, the loyalty isn't specifically to the people in the household but to the authority figure in the household. Because if your loyalty is directed to the authority figure, then everything else falls into place. And that says a lot about how Paul understands idolatry in the Old Testament.
1: A lot of times people think loyalty is where your heart is, who are you in tune with, and that sort of thing. But loyalty really is according to people's actions. You can see by someone's actions who they are being loyal to. Oftentimes people think simplistically about idolatry, that idolatry is very narrowly about setting up some kind of idol. But idolatry is really about going after any work of one's own hands instead of following the law of God, the teaching of God, the Torah. And so anytime you follow something that makes sense to you that goes in contrast with the law of god then you are committing idolatry so you don't actually have to carve something out of stone to be an idolater i don't want people to think too narrowly about this concept of idolatry idolatry means you have turned away from doing what God expects of you and are following something else. And in the case of 1 Corinthians, we know that what God expects is to follow the law of love. Therefore, anytime you are no longer following the law of love, you are committing idolatry, because you're following the works of your own hands. You're following what makes sense to you and what you are able to craft, not what god desires
0: the metaphor definitely is about personal loyalty and that's why infidelity in 1 corinthians and infidelity in the old testament generally is such a powerful example or tool of explanation with respect to idolatry because you are personally accountable to your spouse in the church you are personally accountable to the head of the community because the head of the community is the surrogate for the authority of god the father
1: disloyalty causes the household to disintegrate and paul wants the community to stay integrated to stay together and so you are not allowed to show any kind of disloyalty and like you're saying father the main image for this in the old testament is husband and wife is fidelity in that respect. Now, we know that God is ultimately, completely, eternally loyal. The people are the ones who show the disloyalty. So just because you got married doesn't mean everything's fine. It's whether you remain loyal to that marriage. That's where the test is, and that's what we see in this chapter.
0: For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So he as a Jew, so that the Gentiles would not be ignorant of the Torah, is now explaining what happened to his fathers. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. That's an interesting metaphor, because Peter is also understood as a rock in the New Testament. And it's pejorative when it's applied to Peter. What's going on here with Christ?
1: The rock is what produces the water that keeps them alive in the wilderness. The rock gives life to that which is dead, as Paul talks in Romans, where Abraham, even though he was dead, was still able to produce a child. Here we have a rock in the middle of a desert which, in spite of being a dead rock, is able to produce life, it's able to produce water. They were all baptized, which I think it's interesting that Paul is using the metaphor of baptism, baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The fact that they came through these, the cloud, which was God leading them, and coming through the sea, which is where God preserved them, God was giving them life. All these metaphors build up to show that they were given life even though they should be dead they were slaves who should have been conquered by the egyptian army as they were being pursued but instead god preserved them christ preserved them by being the rock that produces water giving life to those who should be dead
0: so in the gospels jesus is saying peter you are the lifeless rock the tomb of stone the temple of stone from which i can still produce life just as we hear in matthew god can make bread from stone jesus can make life from stone i think in this sense the metaphors are consistent with one another nevertheless with most of them god was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness so again you have this classic paradigm that god is showing favor and giving blessings to people who are unworthy of the blessing and at the same time he is blessing them with difficulty in the hope that they would realize the grace of the other blessings that he's poured forth. And again, we have to remember there's not a literal puppet master in the heavens sending bread and then sending lightning bolts. What we have is a kind of lens through which the Torah trains us to understand the meaning of our own lives. Good things happen, bad things happen. The differentiator for the gospel is the question of loyalty and gratitude. And this is what Paul's going to hit at in this chapter.
1: To build on what you're saying, Father, everything is a loyalty test. God sends you bad, and you have to remain loyal to God. But also God sends you good, and you have to remain loyal to God. Everything is a loyalty test. Will you stay loyal to the very one who gave you life? So they came into the wilderness, out of slavery, everything was good, they had life where there should have been death. They had the ability to follow God rather than being slaves to Pharaoh. And then they complained, and they became disloyal immediately. What does God think he's doing? He doesn't know what he's doing. Why did he put Moses? Moses doesn't know what he's doing either. You know, this is the first reaction that they have. And this is easily what happens to us. When good comes to us, we think it comes from us, so we're disloyal. When God sends us bad, we understand that God doesn't know what he's doing, by sending someone like me bad. And when I say God sends, I'm gonna follow up with what you said, Father. It's not that there is a magical hand in the sky that's rolling the dice for each person. What I'm saying is that when things happen, we have to understand them as coming from God. And everything remains the loyalty test to the one who one, gives life, and two, as Paul has said, demands love of the neighbor from us as the only law that we need to be following.
0: Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And here Paul reminds me of his teaching in Romans. And this is actually reflected in the prayers of contrition in the Eastern Church where the penitent person asks in prayer to be made an example of. And it is referring to this paradigm in Paul's letters that the people of God like everybody else because we're all the same fall short of god's generosity they're unworthy of his generosity and in response to his gift they committed transgression against his authority disloyalty and paul is saying god can even make their disloyalty life-giving he can bring water out of the stone so let's not dishonor god's instruction by not learning from the example of the sins of our brothers. He's not saying one group is better than the other or you can do it better than they did. He's showing you how God is merciful and can make life even out of death.
1: This is a parable. It's a story that teaches us what it means to be disloyal.
0: Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. What a beautiful, beautiful verse from Exodus. They're fine eating what God provided them, but instead of showing gratitude after eating, they ran off to do their own thing.
1: This is an explicit reference to the moment of the golden calf where they took (laughs) all the good things that they had and they created something with their own hands. And don't forget, why did they have gold and silver so they could make a golden calf? Because God told them, To borrow the gold and the silver from the Egyptians and that God would make their heart favorable to lend all this gold and silver to the Israelites so God made it so they could have the gold and the silver yet the people were unhappy to not have something that they could touch in front of them it wasn't enough that they were made safe they wanted to be able to see and touch the thing that made them safe And seeing and touching is control. They want to be able to control and fashion and form the thing that saved them, the thing that gave them life. So they took all these things, the food, the drink, as well as the gold and the silver, all granted to them by God so that they could have something under their own control that could help them in the future, I'm assuming, with any kind of hardships they might have. They can always come back to this golden calf and everything will be fine again.
0: I just love this verse from exodus because it really describes what we are as human beings we want to have something to eat and we want to have a good time it's hilarious you could apply this in the american psychology this could be the verse that describes what thursday night happy hour is and what friday night dinner out is this is what we are we have this bounty and we think we earned it and we want to use it to satisfy ourselves Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Look, there's a judgment, friends. You can't cheat the rules because the rules aren't the rules in a book. The rules are the rules that are in the fabric of the way life works. And God is simply conveying understanding of the way life works in his instruction in his commandments nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer without going too much into the detail of the narrative in Exodus the point is you can try and weasel out of your death and taxes but in the end you're going to lose because no one gets away from paying the grim reaper and from paying Uncle Sam
1: Christ is the one that gave life when they should be dead. So if you have life, although you should be dead, then the very fact that you can speak is testimony to the gift that you received. And the fact that the one in the grave can't speak is testimony to what that person received. So the fact that you can speak is a testimony to grace, the grace that comes from God. So Tempting Christ, seeing, oh, is Christ really loyal? Am I really going to have life? The question is silly because you have it already. Testing Christ's loyalty doesn't make sense because it brings upon the judgment. Why does it bring upon the judgment? Like we said before, Father, because everything is a loyalty test from God.
0: And this is an example of what happens when you don't heed God's wise advice. And that's exactly what he says in verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So this really is not about the Jews. And in a way, this is why the Jewish people, the people of Israel, to be more precise in the story of the Bible, have this special honor they have the special honor of being the first to have their sins put on display for the ages now that is a statement they were chosen to be made an example of that is an impressive teaching and that reflects what's really going on in scripture not this kind of manifest destiny egoism we are the chosen people, or we are the special religion, or we are the great nation. No. And I'm not just applying that, obviously, to modern Judaism. It applies equally, perhaps more so to modern Christianity, and certainly to other religions. We all think that we are the ones. And Paul is saying, you are not the ones in scripture unless you are the ones who are made an example of and shamed and one corinthians is inviting you to join the ranks of those who have been shamed to the ends of the ages what a statement
1: the modern tendency is to not see oneself in these stories. We over historicize and we say, oh, that happened back then, that was something that happened. Right now, I don't happen to be in Egypt, I don't happen to be in slavery, I don't happen to be traveling through the Red Sea, therefore this doesn't apply. These were created as examples so that you would not fall into the same trap. It's trying to describe a trap. It's not trying to describe Egypt
0: therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall you think you have the right religion you think you have the right belief you think you're in the right group you think you know the gospel you savvy theologians in roman corinth be careful because what you think you know will hurt you no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man meaning you're no different than anybody else it's true what i say also in romans that the point is that there's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. But if that's the case, you're no different than the Jews who had the honor of being codified as examples of human sin to the end of the ages.
1: And this isn't an example of Israelite sin or Hebrew sin. This is an example of human sin into which you yourselves have fallen. That's why Paul is bringing it up.
0: This word common to man, sometimes in this particular translation, the New American Standard Bible, they translate kinos as common because it's linking it to the word community. But here, it's a different word. The word that's used for common is anthropinos, which means literally human, common to man, something on
1: human terms. You're right. You've had no temptation that took you except the human temptation. The human temptation to be disloyal, which at the end of the day, since
0: everybody's the same, we all know that although you weren't written about in the Bible, you're just as bad. That's his warning here. Nevertheless, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And here I want to be clear. This is, is often used when someone experiences a tragedy. You often hear people say, God will not give you something that you couldn't handle. And then the person who's suffering thinks their way through their suffering and views it as a test and so forth and so on. That in principle is a functional way of dealing with someone who's been traumatized. But it's very important that everyone understand that people are not fragile, generally speaking. So Paul is not talking again about a puppet master who decides how much you should suffer. Suffering is part of life. You ask a biologist about suffering and she'll tell you, if things didn't die, things wouldn't live. So you have to think about this in terms of science because scripture is about behavioral science. And behavioral science, because behavior is... A manifestation of biology is really a part of the biological reality of creation. And the fact is, you're going to suffer. And the fact is that human biology, like all biology, is as resilient as it needs to be. And is able to recover from trauma. And trauma is essential. All Paul is saying here is that there is a way to ascribe meaning to suffering that is helpful and that is the way you escape there is a way you can assign meaning to people's betrayal of each other that is helpful and that is how you find freedom and kinonia fellowship
1: i mean look there are temptation that strikes humanity in which one has to be loyal to death so is it more than you can take because that's what it is oh God doesn't give you any more than you can take, as if God doesn't want to cause you too much pain. He'll cause you a little bit of pain, but not very much pain, or not too much pain, because different people can take certain amounts of pain. I don't know about that, but the fact is we do know that the temptation to be disloyal can go all the way to death, as we see in the crucifixion, that he might make a way to escape. Escape isn't necessarily what we think of in human terms. Escape may mean that you can still show loyalty. There is no situation that God presents that is presented to us in which we are not able to show loyalty.
0: And you're only as good or as wicked as your last decision. So the other aspect of this, to your point, Richard, is that you may have shown disloyalty to your spouse you may have shown disloyalty to your teacher you may have shown disloyalty to your children which all reflects on God it's showing disloyalty ultimately to the patriarch the real patriarch was the father Paul is saying if you learn from that disloyalty you can keep moving forward and you can always choose a different path and If you keep choosing the right path, it lessens the burdens of your own mistakes. Thanks very much, Richard. I know you're not feeling well today, so I appreciate your commitment to the podcast and us doing this remotely.
1: There is always a way to escape the temptation of not (laughs) recording. There you go. You have a great day. Take care. Thank you, Father. You've just
0: heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.